morning. It is so good to, excuse me, it is so good to see all of you. I agree with Karen, all your beautiful smiling faces out there just warms my heart. I love, love that. This is our third week in our semester-long study of wisdom, and the first five weeks we are looking in Ecclesiastes to find how we can live as wise women. I don't know how many of you saw the paper Sunday, but in the uh, Sunday paper, the women's uh, or life section, they had three uh, women. It was called Real Women Have Wisdom, and I thought it was pretty interesting. They had three women. One was in her 30s, one in her 60s, and one was 106. And they had, um, I think some people are needing outlines back there. Raise your hand, and we'll get that to you, outlines and verses. It was interesting what they had to say. The, um, the lady that was 106, and they each talked about different decades, wisdom they would have for that decade. And the lady that was 106, she said about the 70s, when we're 70. I think you could do anything in the world you wanted to. If you were 70, you'd be a kid. And I thought that was pretty good. You're just a kid when you're 70. And then on Monday, I thought this was interesting, uh, in the women's section they had a lady that had just turned 103. How many of you saw that in the paper on Monday? Did you see that? She, she was interesting. She, it sounds like that she loved the Lord. She um, would listen to the Bible on tape. And they said, what would you give advice, you know, what kind of advice do you have for people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s? And she says, I would tell them, you are in the prime of life. You're old enough to have some judgment but you're still young enough to have some fun. I thought um, your perspective is important. We've been talking about wisdom, and I wondered what would you say if someone asked you for some wisdom? What would you have to offer? We've defined wisdom as skillful living, and it cannot be apart from God. God gives us wisdom, and we look at life and our individual situations with an eternal perspective. A wise woman has an eternal perspective. That means that we have a relationship with God, recognizing him as our sovereign, loving creator. We do not look at life under the sun as Solomon did. He found out that life under the sun, apart from God, is meaningless. We talked about, we've talked a lot about having an eternal perspective, and I found this sheet in my notebook. I don't know if... One of you stuck it in there, or where it came from, really. But it was pretty interesting. It's uh, on having an eternal perspective. And I want to read you a few of these things. We say it's impossible. God says in Luke 18, 27, all things are possible. We say, I'm too tired. God says in Matthew 11:28, 28, I will give you rest. We say, nobody really loves me. God says in John 3, 16, I love you. We say, I can't go on. And God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient. We say, I can't figure things out. And God says in Proverbs 16, 9, I will direct your paths. We say, I'm not able. And God says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, I am able. We say it's not worth it. And God tells us in Romans 8, 28, it will be worth it all. We say, I am afraid. And God tells us in 2 Timothy 1, 7, 
I have not given you a spirit of fear. We say, I am worried and frustrated. And God says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on me. We say, I'm not smart enough. And God says in James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. That's what it's like to have an eternal perspective. Last week we established our second foundational principle, and that is a wise woman trusts the heart of God. We must know who God is and believe it. Believe what we know to be true about God so that we can and so that we will anchor our lives to God. You know, the anchor is a symbol of hope. And God is our hope. And I'm not talking about hope meaning wishful thinking. I'm talking about hope that's defined as certainty in the present and firm expectation for the future. It's the hope that is absolute certainty. Our hope is God, and we want to be securely anchored to him. Both of these principles, having an eternal perspective and trusting the heart of God, are absolutely necessary for our third principle that we're learning and talking about today, and that is a wise woman considers pain thoughtfully. Many years ago, I was a young wife and mother. My children were age five and three. It was January 1984, and I was reading Ecclesiastes. And I came to verse 14 in chapter 7, and it says this. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. And I stopped and I was so struck by that verse because I thought this is how I really want to live my life. This is what I've been learning about God. When times are good, be happy. When times are hard, consider God is in that as well. I had been on a journey learning the sovereignty of God. And I think it began about six years before when I was 25, and my dad died suddenly of a heart attack. He was 47. I was shocked, I was heartbroken, and I was grief-stricken. I couldn't imagine life without my dad. He had always seemed larger than life to me. He uh, was somebody that was pretty powerful in the business world. He had a winsome, charismatic personality, and people were attracted to him. And it was hard to imagine that, that he could die. That thought had not really ever entered my mind. And so I flew to uh, Miami to be with my mom and my family. And then we flew to uh, Arkansas, where we were going to bury my father. And there my grandparents were. They were the uh, parents of my dad. And when I got to the funeral home, my grandfather was standing out in front. And he uh, was a very godly man. He loved the Lord deeply. And many of you have heard me tell this story before. But I got out of the car, and I ran to my grandfather crying. And he put his arms around me, and these were the first words that he said to me. Debbie, God never makes mistakes. God never makes mistakes. And I believed that. I believed my grandfather, and I was filled with so much comfort. It was so comforting to me to know that it was painful, it was hard, I didn't understand it, but God is in control. 
God is sovereign, even in this hard situation. So I went on and began to look in the scripture and look at the sovereignty of God and see what that means and try to figure out where is God in the hard times and in suffering and in pain? What does that mean that God is in control? There were other hard things that came. Um, Scott and I had some very dear friends, uh, and they had their infant son die. We had a son the almost the exact same age as their son. And the sadness of that situation was overwhelming. And as we talked to them, my friend would say to me, um, God is good. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did my son die? And we began, began to talk. And like I said last week, when people have, uh, they're in hard times and they begin to say God is good, but bad things happen. So therefore, God must not be very powerful. He must not be in control if he is letting this happen. And I thought, you know, that it is easier to believe the word of God. It was easier for me to think God is in control, God is sovereign, than it was to think we have a good and loving God, but he is powerless. And so I told my friend, in the word of God, it says God is in control, and I believe that that is true, that he is good, that he is sovereign, and yet there are things that happen, suffering comes into our life, and we don't understand it. And we may never understand it until we're in heaven. But I wanted to believe that God was good and God was sovereign. And so when I came to this verse, I thought, this verse says it all. This is how I want to live my life. And I began to think about this verse. When times are hard, I want to remember God in the midst of those hard times. To today, I would say that this is my life verse this verse in Ecclesiastes 7.14. And because of this verse, we're having this lesson today on pain and suffering because I want us to consider how do we live wisely in the midst of those difficult times. And so let's look at uh, chapter 7. Let's begin with verse 1 and see what Solomon tells us how to live skillfully in those hard times. Verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. These might seem like odd verses when you first read them, but I think Solomon is telling us here to consider death and hardship, pain and suffering. Why? Because, as we see in verse 2, death is the destiny of every man. It is inevitable. Pain and suffering and death is inevitable. We saw that last week in Ecclesiastes 3. It says there is a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time to laugh and a time to weep. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. Pain and sadness, death, hardship... They are the natural rhythms of life. We weep and we laugh. We're born and we die. Sometimes we think, I believe in God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So life should be filled with all these things that I call good. All the things that I call good in my life. As a believer, I shouldn't have to experience any hardship. The truth is that the word of God tells us that there will be trouble. 
not just in Ecclesiastes, but we read it in the New Testament as well. On your verse sheet, John 16.33 says, this is Jesus speaking, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There will be trouble in this world. What God does promise us, though, is that he will comfort us. And we read that in 2 Corinthians 1.4. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. God comforts us, and sometimes he sends others to comfort us as well. Another thing God promises is that he will never leave us or forsake us. And we read that in Joshua 1.5. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But there will be hard times. And a wise woman does not expect faith to cancel out sorrow. The reality is there will be suffering for all of us. You have each experienced on some level pain in your life. You've experienced it in the past, and you will again in the future. And there are some in this room right now, we've heard from some, that are in the midst of great pain or hardship or suffering. People in this room that are heartbroken today, pain and death, hardship and suffering is inevitable. Verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. What does that mean? It means that considering pain and death can be purposeful. There is value in it. There is much to gain from it. You know, pain can be a good thing. We assume that all pain is evil and that our lives would be improved if we could eliminate all pain. But in actuality, we could not survive without pain, without physical pain. It's pain that tells our eyes to blink. It's pain that tells us when our hands reach out to touch the fire that it's hot and to pull back. To tell our bodies to shift when those bones have been sitting on that skin too long. Leprosy is a disease that destroys the nerve endings. And you've probably seen pictures of people with um, leprosy. And oftentimes their eyes are damaged or their fingers uh, are missing. And this is because they feel little or no pain to warn them that they're harming themselves. It's kind of like when we go to the dentist and we get our face numb. That's a good thing. But then we go home and it's still numb and we bite down and all of a sudden we realize our lip is bleeding because we didn't feel it and we've bitten down on it. Pain, in a physical sense, can be a good thing. It's really a necessary thing. And I read this quote that says, in the emotional sense, pain tells us when relationships are out of order. Pain tells us when stress is too great, when grief is the proper response to a personal loss, or when we can no longer cope with the status quo. There is wisdom to be gained from the hard times. There is much that we can learn during suffering. Psalm 90, 12 on your verse sheet says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thinking about our days being numbered, we can decide how do I want to live life with the days that I have left with to me. Now, a good example of this is Shirley Bryan. She's been a speaker at some of our retreats, and most recently she talked at our Christmas brunch. And one time at a retreat, she said this, 
that she began to think, um, say I lived to 75, I have, and I can't remember how old she was, she had so many years left, and she decided that she wanted to study in depth every book in the Bible. And so she made a plan and marked out how she could study every book in the Bible in depth um, before 75. Now, she may not live to 75, or she may live past it, but the point is she was thinking, I need to be aware that my time is limited, and begin to study the Word of God like I want to right now. When we consider those days that are left to us, we can decide how we want to live our life. And this is what it means to have a sad face in verse 3. It doesn't mean sad emotionally. It means a serious face. We want to seriously contemplate the difficulties in life, hardship, suffering, maybe even our death. Let's look at verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. So often we say, let's think about that unpleasant stuff later. Let's put that on the back burner. I don't want to talk about that. Kind of like Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. You know, remember, I'll think about it tomorrow at Tara. She was always wanting to put it, you know, later. It was too hard to deal with. In fact, some of you in this room might be saying that right now. Let's quit talking about this. And I'm not saying this to be morbid or to be overly self-reflective, but Solomon is saying that there is wisdom in considering pain and suffering, the hardship that we might be in, and even our death. It is the foolish person who never considers. And then when hardship falls upon you, you are ill-prepared to handle it wisely. So we consider the hard times, one, because they are inevitable, and two, because there's purpose in it, we can gain wisdom. Let's look at 5 and 6 and see what Solomon has to say. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. That crackling of thorns under the pot, thorns, when you throw in the fire, they make a lot of noise, but they don't give out much heat. So we read here that we are to heed the wise man's warnings or corrections or advice instead of listening to the song of fools. The wise person often reminds us of God's plan, of God's word, of God's ways. And that oftentimes can seem hard. While the foolish person, the unwise person, tells us of the way of the world, which at first glance may seem like the easy way, but it ends in more grief. I had a friend that I worked with some years ago at the hospital, and she became engaged. And then they called it off for some very good reasons. They, they weren't really a very good match. But about two weeks after they had called off the engagement, she realized she was pregnant. And so there were those around her that told her just to get an abortion and move on with her life. That was the song of fools. But my friend knew in her heart that that was not God's ways. It would change her life to have this baby. It wouldn't be easy, but it would be right. She made a wise decision. When you're in a painful, hard situation, test the counsel that people give you with the word of God. Wise counsel will not contradict scripture. It will not contradict the Bible. And if a wise person is telling you something difficult to hear, do not just ignore it. 
go to God and ask him, is this wisdom that you have for me? Are you trying to teach me something in this hard situation? On your verse sheet, Proverbs 29.1 gives us this warning. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Solomon warns us to avoid having foolish responses. Let's look at verses uh, 7 through 10, and we're going to see uh, some specific things um, not to get involved with. And the, uh, verse 7 says, Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Extortion there could probably better be translated oppression. Oppression turns a wise man into a fool. Difficult times can turn even a wise person into a fool. It's not easy to live wisely in difficult situations. Some of you may have realized that. And what he's saying here about the bribe, do not let money make you foolish. Do not throw money at the problem. Sometimes we use money to anesthetize the pain. It could be with entertainment. It could be with shopping. Sometimes we use money um, illegally or immorally in an attempt to escape the pain. Be careful how you use money in the difficult times. Next we read in verse 8, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be impatient in the midst of pain. And that is a hard thing to do. When we're in the midst of pain, we usually want it to go away. We're kind of an instant generation, and we want quick fixes, and we don't want to stay in that pain. But sometimes God has um, plan is different, and God's plan may be slower than our plan. And so he asks us to wait on him, and we read that in Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And Isaiah 30:18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him. Blessed are those who wait on him. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. When we're in the midst of that suffering and we just want the pain to end, this is when we need that eternal perspective and that heart that trusts the heart of God. So that we can go to the Lord and say, what do you want me to learn in this? Give me an eternal perspective. Lord, help me to hold on to your goodness, to your love, to your mercy, to your power, to your grace. Don't waste the painful situation. Instead, use it to draw you nearer to God, to experience him. You guys have probably heard this quote by Selwyn Hughes, but it says, Life works better when we know how to glance at things but gaze at God. Seeing him clearly will enable us to see all other things clearly. Just don't look around under the sun, but look up above the sun and gaze at God. I love that song that we sang this morning. Gaze at God and worship him. Verse 9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. A third foolish response to avoid in the midst of pain and suffering is anger, and specifically, anger at God. 
Now, anger is a universal emotion. We all feel it, and we see it often in the Psalms. But we do not want to stay there. We do not want to stay angry. Anger, over time, turns to bitterness, and bitterness hardens us into someone that is defensive and hostile toward God and toward others. Instead, take that anger to God and leave it there with him. Replace it with a reliance on him, trusting him and drawing close to him. I have a friend who has suffered greatly. She has known pain and loss and hardship. She had a husband who physically and emotionally abused her. He cheated on her with other women. And eventually, he left her with children to raise and to financially support. One child went on to be assaulted, and she herself was kidnapped and raped. And when you ask her today about it, she will say that it all drew her to God. That in the beginning of her marriage, she met a wise woman who pointed her to the word of God, who showed her how to look up things in God's word to see what he had to say about it. Things like forgiveness, things like anger. She told her how to pray, showed her the word of God and how to pray to ask God to show her his, his love for her, his compassion for her, his mercy, and his plan for her life. And my friend will say today that each step of the way, she was drawn closer to God, relying on God and not herself. And she will tell you miracle after miracle, what she calls miracle of miracles, those things that God gave her, the way that he provided for her, the things that he showed her during this time. She calls those miracles and that she will say that she is grateful for those individual circumstances because because of those things, she was able to learn who God is and to rely on him. And he shaped her to become the person that she is today, someone who knows God intimately and relies on God totally. On your verse sheet in 2 Corinthians, we read, this is Paul talking, and he is telling the Corinthians about some great hardships. And it says, verse 8 and 9, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Rely on God. Verse 10 says, Do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You know, this is why this is why I love Ecclesiastes. See how things haven't changed in 3,000 years? We're still saying the same things. And the older, the, get, the older I get, the more I say it. What happened to the good old days? And here's Solomon saying, don't say that. That is not wise. I read um, this quote that said, um, the good old days are the combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. <laughs> and I thought that that's probably true. 
So bad memory and a good imagination. You know, we can learn from the past, but we do not want to be stuck in it. We don't want to be stuck in the past. Verse 11 and 12 talk about uh, wisdom some more and um, the benefit of wisdom, that wisdom is good. And then let's read verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. We cannot foretell the future, but we can accept the fact that God controls it. God controls our future. And in good times and in bad, God is good and God is great. God is sovereign and he's in control and he desires for us to have a full life filled with a close and intimate relationship with him. The difficult, painful times have purpose. Sometimes they're put into our lives by God to teach us more about him and more about ourselves. It's to strengthen our faith. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The Holman Commentary said, God is our greatest good, yet we don't naturally pursue him. Affliction can be redemptive if it reminds us that we are dependent creatures who need to know the Father. We don't often pursue God, but God is our greatest good, and affliction, pain, can draw us to God. Sometimes pain is in our life because it's the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world, and along with it, sickness and death and decay. And God allows those to enter our lives so that in the midst of it, we might see his hand, his hand of provision, his hand of comfort, his hand strengthening us. The book of Job is very interesting. Job um, was a very righteous man. He loved God. And he was wealthy and healthy. And Satan goes to God and says, look at this man Job that uh, obeys you and is righteous. The reason is because you have blessed him. Wonder what he would think about you if he didn't have all these blessings. And so God allowed Satan to take um, all that away from Job, everything except his life. And so he took away his children, his flocks and his herds, his wealth and his health. He became very sick. And then we read Job 2.10. He says this, and this is in reply to his wife. Now this is interesting. I thought about this week. He didn't take away his wife, and so you wonder if she was a blessing to Job. (laughs) We don't want to be like that for our husbands. And we see what she says to Job very early on. This is the second chapter of this uh, long book of Job. She says, curse God and die. And Job replies in verse 10, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept the good from God and not? trouble? Shall we accept the good from God and not trouble? In my Bible, underneath that verse, I have written, Job loved the giver 
not just the gifts. Job loved the giver, not just the gifts. And when hard times come upon me and I'm in the midst of pain and suffering, I ask myself, do I just love the gifts or do I love the giver? Do I love the giver? Whether God has put trouble in our life for our good to teach us more about him and to draw us closer to him or whether he's allowed it to come into our life, be assured of this. He is not unaware of it. He is not surprised by it. It didn't happen when his back was turned and he wasn't looking. God is in control. God knows what's going on. And also we can know this, that he makes all things beautiful in his time. He can work together for good all things for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And then we see in chapter 7 that sometimes our pain is the consequences of our own folly. So let's look at verses 15 through 18. And it says, In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Solomon has two ways that we act foolish and bring pain into our lives. And the first way is by being self-righteous. By being self-righteous. We might start out loving God and wanting to follow God, but then we grow arrogant, full of pride. We begin doing those things that we think are good or those things that make us look good. We become legalistic. And then our relationship with God is forgotten. That's what Jesus is saying about the religious leaders of his day. The whole 23rd chapter of Matthew is Jesus saying to the Pharisees that they are hypocrites, that they have gotten so busy making silly rules out of God's law that they have lost sight of God. Their relationship with God was forgotten. Consider, is the pain in your life caused by your own foolish actions? The second category of this is the unrighteous. Those, that's the times when we decide to walk apart from God in disobedience. We choose sin. We choose my own way instead of God's ways. And so I might have an affair with someone outside of marriage. I take illegal drugs. I abuse alcohol. I lie to stay out of trouble. I spend money so unwisely that debt overwhelms me. My sinful, wrong, and foolish actions result in suffering and maybe even death. Solomon says in verse 18, It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Solomon is saying do not be self-righteous and do not be unrighteous. Instead, fear God. Have a relationship with God. Walk with God. A third cause of pain that I have on your outline I want to address briefly. We don't find it in the um, seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes, but as long as we were talking about suffering today, I thought I'd throw this in. And we read it in uh, 1 Peter. I'm going to just say this quickly. Chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It goes down to verse 16. It says, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. This is talking about religious persecution. This is, ca- this is pain that's caused by living righteously. Now, I don't know how many of us in this room are really faced with religious persecution, but there could come a time when we are. And so how do we act wisely? What is our wise response in that time? And we see some of it there, but I also on your verse sheet put 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 and Matthew 5, 11, and I want to read those verses. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And then Matthew 5 says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. I see here several things, several ways that we are to act in the midst of religious persecution. First, consider yourself blessed. And that word there is highly privileged. Do not fear. Third, be prepared to give an answer for that hope in Christ, that word hope again. And fourth, rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think those things seem very easy to do. And so it might uh, be of value to consider those things and to think about those things, to think this is what Scripture is telling us, how to respond and how to act in religious persecution. And even though you may not be experiencing it now, we may someday in the future. And right now there are people in other parts of the world, Christians in other parts of the world, that are experiencing severe persecution. Pray for them. Now you know what to pray for. Pray that God would strengthen them and that they would have these things, that they would be able to not fear, to be prepared to give an answer, that they would be able to rejoice and to know that their reward is in heaven. In conclusion, a wise woman considers pain thoughtfully. When times are hard, go to God. Often he sends a friend to point us to him. Um, I've had the privilege of having many friends over my life point me to God. And one um, that I've gotten a little bit more recently, I actually went to encourage a friend that was having a hard time, and she sent me a thank you note that blessed me, I think, much more than I was able to bless her, because on the front of it, it had about 14 names of Jesus. Good Shepherd, Bread of Life, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Risen Lord, Living Water, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God is with us. You know, when you can't even say, God is with you, maybe you need to turn to a friend to help a friend point you to God. Maybe some of you in this room need to be that kind of a friend for someone else right now, coming alongside them and encouraging them. Maybe you want to go to God, but you just can't seem to find him. You might turn to the Psalms, and in particular, Psalm 62. 
I have verse 5 at the bottom of your verse sheet, but let me read you a few other verses out of Psalm 62. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And then the last two verses I've put on your verse sheet, they say, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. God is good and God is great. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are good and you are great. Lord, we know that. Help us to believe it evermore. Strengthen our faith for those hard times. Father, for those that are here in the midst of really hard times, Father, strengthen them. Show them yourself. May your presence be so real to them. May they be learning more and more who you are. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we see you in your word, that we can learn from that, and that you give us this so that we can anchor ourselves to you in those hard and difficult times. Father, I pray for each woman in here that you would bless them in a mighty way, that you would draw them closer to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Now, there may be some of you that uh, are in the midst of a really hard time right now, and you would like someone to pray for you. And if that is your case, then if you would like to come up afterwards, I would love um, to pray with you. Wendy has some more announcements.